We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, 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 CMOS girlies. Happy Sunday, the day after SantaCon. If you live in New York City, you know what that is. Kate, how are you? Recovering from SantaCon. Um, saw you, you yesterday at our little clothing sale. Um, Shout out to all the girlies who came through. Um, if you don't live in the New York area, I'm sorry that you weren't able to come and join us. Kate and I had a little clothing sale. Um, none of the um, profits will be going to an organization strictly to our grocery <laughs> bills, but um yeah it was fun yeah a lot of the girlies came and like some people came alone and then people made friends I'm like wow I love I literally was like crying when they're all leaving I'm like oh my god love our CMS girlies um yeah it was fun but Emma and I saw a lot of street traffic of SantaCon I gave a lot of dirty looks to people in the SantaCon SantaCon is to people who don't live in the city yeah um we had someone from like England and then someone from Spain they're like what is this I'm like it's just an excuse for people to get drunk. It's basically people go bar hopping, but you dress up in Santa outfits. As if, as if the weekend isn't like an excuse already for people who work traditional nine to five soul sucking jobs to get like, drunk. I know. And like, my thing is like, I am embarrassed just walking down the street, like schlepping a arugula as is. If you put me in a Santa costume, I would probably start crying. I don't know how people don't have shame. They don't feel shame. Um, it's a true type of just like straight dude that has the confidence to just walk down the street like that. Um, so yeah, I, you know, actually I went on a walk at like 4 PM in the West village cringe. That was just like trauma. And I didn't really see many Santos. They must've all been just passed out drunk at that point. Um, dude, actually they were just- all, they were all in East village because I got dinner. I had a geriatric dinner yesterday. At <laughs> yeah, you Alpha. did. Uh-huh, welcome. Um, and it was just, Santa's galore Santa's galore left and right um up and down want to explain what uh geriatric dinner is it's kind of like CEO dinner a little bit different yes um so for people who don't know um you know if you're well none of you guys are old because we don't have like people who are like 95 listening to this but you know how like old people are whenever you go out to dinner with your grandparents they like always make the reservation for like 5 5 30 p.m because like they go to bed at 8 um, that is like, you know, the pro like the known geriatric dinner time. And so, you know, sometimes Kate and I, I partake for that. We enjoy the early dinners for whatever reason, just because, you know, now with daylight savings, once it's like dark at four, I'm like, oh, the day's overtime for me to eat. Yeah. Um, and so that happened to me yesterday. I went on a date. We had dinner at 4 30 PM. 
<laughs> and he like left at 5 15 and we're like oh wow it's only five what do you do now yeah um but like comment subscribe um share this podcast episode if you also uh, subscribe to the geriatric dinner t- uh dinner time yeah there's another thing called a ceo dinner which is more of a summer trend for emma and i where we would eat dinner at the same kind of time but then we'd be productive and like we used to hang out for three hours after and just mental mental but the geriatric dinner is more just like you go on a somber walk, you listen to your music, you sip some tea in bed, you're like the sleepy time bear. Like that's that's the imagery of the geriatric dinner. Um, it's really fun. Emma and I've been eating a lot of potatoes, dessert potatoes recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my day yesterday, um, I'm, I'm quitting dating and I say that every week, but ugh, another man that doesn't want to commit to a relationship. And I'm like, frankly, why are you on a dating app if you don't want to be? Um, so, you know, I'm going to be using it for content and I'm going to be making money off of it. That's going to be my use. I'm doing stuff with Tinder on TikTok. <laughs> so I have to pitch to them. I'm going to do like, oh. I'm going to do like a four part guide of like how to gaslight men or like how to whatever, but just inspiration to you girlies that, you know, it's not a you problem. Probably it's probably just the way that men are conditioned that they don't know how to be in a relationship. They don't know how to have feelings and they probably should just go to therapy. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's my spiel of the day. Society if men went to therapy. Yeah, society if men took ashwagandha. That was like one of our first memes. Like society if that, yeah, I think it was like society if like men ate vegetables. Eat vegetables. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the old meme days. Or um, don't argue with me, or you're a man, go to war, buy a probiotic or something like that. Yes. The old yeah, meme we days. Do some crazy memes back in the day. Yeah, true vendor. They've been a bit PG lately. Yeah, they've been kind of boring. Um, we'll spice it up for you guys, don't worry. But that brings us into today's episode somehow, which is about uh food timing. So, like a few of you guys in Geneva are like, oh, that's an interesting topic. Because this kind of covers a lot of health and wellness stuff. It's gonna be a, an episode where there's conflicting advice. You could think like hundred percent one way, hundred percent the other way. It's like the whole WebMD rabbit whole like experiment thing where you're like oh I'm gonna try doing intermittent fasting actually I'm gonna eat every hour so we thought about like doing an episode about this because it's something that informs a lot of my decisions I'm like what the fuck do I do and what's the best thing for my health and wellness and yeah and I think it's like interesting how time does play such an influence in like health and nutrition even though it doesn't necessarily need to but we'll also touch on like if there's like a better time to take certain like supplements to you know enhance the absorption of them and whatnot so yeah we'll be touching on lots of different topics lots of mini segments um so we hope you guys enjoy this take out your notebooks if you are interested in this spicy and juicy subject yeah and we will get into this shot okay so we're gonna start off with supplements because i think that's like a good kind of segue into like everything else and i have like been seeing different things on the internet about like you know when is the best time to take a probiotic etc but so supplements, whether you should take them morning versus night. So really the best rule of thumb when it comes to taking supplements is to follow the instructions that are on the label of the supplement that you are taking or based off of what, of your, what, what your healthcare provider recommends to you. And just like, you know, to remember to take supplements that target a specific need slash purpose versus just taking them for the sake of taking them. But most vitamins for the most part can be taken at any point throughout the day, but it will be best when they're taken in the morning with a meal. But some supplements that do target like relaxation or sleep, such as like magnesium will be better fitted for the evening. So it's really, you should focus, focus more on like the, how you should be taking the supplements, not like the, like when, or the, like, yeah, like the when, or like the time frame. but digestion is going to slow when we sleep. So this can lead to lower levels of absorption. So that's why it's generally recommended to take most of your supplements in the morning, because that is when your digestion is going to get, you know, it's kickstart and there's going to be like different ways that you're going to want to take your vitamins. This isn't necessarily like related to time, but vitamins that are water soluble. So like your C and your B, they do not need to be taken with food because they can be absorbed just strictly through liquids, but then your fat soluble vitamins rely on a fat for proper absorption. So this is going to be your A, D, E, and K. So that's why you're going to like want to have these supplements in conjunction with a meal. So it makes sense to have them in the morning with your breakfast. And so the vitamins that you should definitely be taking in the morning though, are going to be your multivitamin and your B vitamin. This is because the multi, this is because the B vitamins that are often found in your multivitamin can stimulate metabolism and brain function. So this could hinder your ability to fall asleep or relax before bed. If you take these, you know, right before getting ready for bed. 
And the vitamins to take at night, I think this is like, you know, a no brainer, but magnesium, because this is the type of supplement that will help you um, like wind down, kind of relax, you know, other ones such as like L-theanine, perhaps other like adaptogens as well, or, you know, like valerian root or some shit that like helps you fall asleep. And then last for probiotics. So Kate and I have kind of been like seeing things on the internet about like, no, you should be taking your probiotic like in the evening right before bed. But with the probiotic, again, it's kind of going to have like the same general rule of thumb. It's going to be best to take it on an empty stomach because the whole point of like taking a probiotic is to get that healthy bacteria into your gut. And so you want that healthy bacteria to get into your gut as quickly as possible. And so the best way to do that is if your stomach is empty because it's not going to be digesting other food and it's not going to like interact or get like interfered with stuff that's already going through your system. So it's going to be best to take it first thing in the morning or right before going to bed. If you're someone who does eat, you know, dinner four or five hours before going to bed, like by the time you go to bed, your stomach will be mostly empty and it will have digested most of its food. So it would be fine to take it then. But I think, you know, for the most part, when setting up any sort of like health or wellness routine, it's really just going to be like whatever sticks and works best for you. So if you're someone who like is really scattered in the mornings and you never remember to take your supplements, maybe just do it when you like have lunch or at dinner time. it's really going to be like whatever is best for you. Cause again, at the end of the day, consistency is key. Um, so then that kind of gets in, well, kind of jumping off of that quick. Cause I think some habits that like we've done that have made us like the wellness gods we are, because I think there was a time probably when I did forget to take my supplements, like I've taken like ritual and seed. So I had two pill bottles and I got one of those like corny, like geriatric seven day organizers. And that's just something I keep in my fridge. And it's like, I, when I look in there and open up, like what I want to eat or what I want to drink first in the morning, I always just take that out on the counter. And so it's a routine that I do. It seems corny. It seems really easy. It seems really intuitive that you would do that. Um, and I always take it with like the same thing. Like, I mean, I've been having those daily gem immunity chunk bites, or I'll take it with a Brazil nut or some sort of food source. But I think I, if I worked, cause I worked from home, if I worked in nine to five, like I would not want to pack my supplements with me. If I was on the rush in the morning, like Emma was saying, so I think just having that regular time uh, to do it is probably going to be your most like beneficial with subs. Yeah, for sure. So then that kind of gets into like some of like the, how time is influenced with eating. And I think the first things that we're going to focus on is like um, in relation to like working out. So eating before and after we did touch on this in the sports supplement episode. So if you want to get kind of more information in regards to like all of that, go listen to that episode. But for eating before a workout, it is known that a fasted workout can increase your fat burn, but it may not leave enough energy for rigorous training. And so that is why there are some benefits or reasons for eating before, because it's going to give you the strength and energy to perform a more rigorous training or workout schedule. And I totally know that like this happens for me, especially if I do like a workout, like later in the day, like I do need to eat something right before, or I'll just like feel so lethargic and like kind of brain dead while I like, work out and just kind of go through the motions. Um, So if you are like seeking out to like have some sort of pre-workout meal, you know, the goal of like a pre-workout meal is going to be to replenish glycogen, AKA carbs and, you know, your muscles use glucose from the carbs for fuel. And so it is like important to have some form of carbohydrates in your pre-workout meal. And again, also it's important for morning workouts to eat something because as the liver's glycogen is depleted from fueling the nervous system during sleep. So that's why like in the morning, um, you know, if you are doing like a super early workout, it might be beneficial for you to eat, but also, you know, don't force yourself to eat if you're like not hungry and whatnot. Um, and also you should eat probably two to four hours before the activity in the meal so that you're not like working out and your like stomach is also like digesting at the same time. And again, like I said, it should be some form of like a carbohydrate, minor protein, not like a whole lot since protein does take longer to digest and it's not the immediate form of fuel for the body. But again, this is going to be an individual, like no one size fits all approach. Um, So just things to keep in mind, but I think you can kind of probably get away with like not really eating before workout as much, but I think like the post-workout fuel is like what's way more important. I think like a lot more people put a lot of emphasis and like thought into So that gets into like eating after workout. So what happens after you work out? Essentially training depletes again, your glycogen and protein in the muscles. Um, So because as you're working out, your muscles are getting broken down and damaged. And so your body tries to replenish those glycogen stores and regrow the muscle proteins after workout. And so with the post-workout nutrient needs, you really should be heavily focusing on the protein in order to repair muscle. 
and then also carbohydrates for recovery. And 30 to 45 minutes is kind of the sweet spot for the most ideal time to have your post-workout snack, but you kind of can get away with, you know, as long as two hours after working out. Um, but your body's going to have greater abil- ability to rebuild glycogen and protein, like shortly after working out, as opposed to like waiting a long extended period of time. Um, and so, you know, that's why, like, again, kind of figuring out what works best with your life and like your life and like daily routine. Like I know for me, like I'll like work out in the morning that I like immediately eat breakfast and that's kind of like my post-workout like recovery meal. Um, but again, yeah, it's like, you know, do what makes sense for you. Um, so yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think my like post and pre-workout routine has definitely changed throughout the years, like depending on the type of workout, which is going to be the next section we get into. A lot of people ask, like, should I be eating differently? Like on the days that I do hit or yoga or running? Um, once again, it's going to be what you have access to. I think it's like a very, a very cool thing that people have time to like focus on that, like myself included, but also the average person that's working out probably doesn't even think about like different movement, you know, and how that affects everything. Um, but some of the general advice is kind of like similar to what Emma said is that like most of the food that you're going to like want to eat before the biggest thing to avoid is going to be fiber, right? Like beans, dairy, fermented foods, cruciferous vegetables is just going to sit in your stomach and not be able to properly digest if you're moving and jumping and running. Um, the kind of differences between like what to eat based on your type of workout are going to be between like super heavy endurance running like cardio long, um, what is it called? Slow, steady cardio versus something like lifting. And then yoga and Pilates is kind of a separate category. So the general rule is that like, yeah, if your workout's less than 45 minutes, you probably just need a snack water during the workout, a snack after. But if you're attending something like a super long endurance event, maybe you play sports, maybe you're running or biking or something of that nature, you should go with a carb that has a low GI index. So the glycemic index, which we've definitely touched on in pods before, but it's going to be something that doesn't raise the blood sugar quickly, but it rather maintains these steady label levels of your glucose levels. So then you're going to be able to perform cardio for like that very long state of time. So carbs are like often focused on for those that are these endurance athletes, just because of that, like you have this steady state of energy that can last you throughout the whole time of your event. Um, and they say like endurance athletes, a lot of times kind of fall into that higher carb diet, like people who are professional athletes that are training, uh, typically they go on like a 70%, like total calories from carbs, something you don't have to probably adopt, but like marathon runners do that. Cyclists do that. Swimmers do that. Um, just because they need that for their energy requirements. As I was saying, yeah, like fiber is going to be the biggest thing that like everyone probably like could benefit of not eating right before a workout. If you are in the category of lifting or yoga and Pilates are kind of the same, eating it to a few hours before working out is going to be your biggest bet. And with hot yoga or Pilates or any sort of studio class that's a heated environment, electrolytes are going to be a huge help there. Um, I know for me, whenever I've done stuff in like a really sweaty class and then you go to like get on with the rest of your day, I typically feel like sluggish an hour after if I'm not drinking enough water. And like right after you get out one of those classes for me, sometimes I'm like, oh, I don't want to drink water. Like this seems like a chore, but those noon hydration tablets or there's a lot of brands that have like different hydration things. So if you want to like get some electrolyte drinks or Gatorade or something like that, go off. Um, and then some sort of snack ideas that you could do like before or after one of these sessions could be like eggs and toast, peanut butter, toast, cereal, oats, things that the CMOS girlies love, granola bars, um, granola and yogurt. Those are going to be things your body can digest, but it's going to be more about portion sizes and like what is enough for energy and then not too much to like make you feel bloated or have any sort of stomach pain. And then when it comes to cardio or like high intensity stuff, you want something small in this hour leading up before a lot of runners kind of think of like a, a pre-workout snack or a chew or something like that, that they might want. Um, but making sure you're not going to like feel it slogging around in your stomach. And if you are going into like those endurance events, they often say like carb load the night before. Once again, like I, I heard that a lot growing up and I was like, why the fuck would you eat like, like pasta the night before, but it's just so your energy remains stable for like the next day. Um, and that's one thing with, I think food is difficult to come from a place of eating disorder. Like I don't really think about, or like when I was in the worst of my eating disorder, like I didn't think about how every day was adding up to like the next day. Like what I did the night before I performed was probably impacting more than like what I ate the day of. So that's like something that is a mind shift thing. That's really helpful for me now. Like not beating yourself up after like eating ice cream at midnight or something. If you feel like that's like something that you don't normally do or eating out with friends or eating like 
any sort of food behavior that's probably outside of your normal daily habit, realizing like it's not going to kill you and it's not going to kill you in the moment. You might feel bad a few days later or like a little bit sluggish or slower at the gym, but it's about like what you do consistently, like the 80, 20 rule, like what you do 80% of the time is going to be your health outcomes, not like the, the one off times you go do something fun. Um, now this kind of gets into like another snack idea. I know a lot of runners do like, I, I do this sometimes like the dates and peanut butter or like banana and peanut butter. Banana is a big one that a lot of athletes eat before like running specifically just cause it's easy to digest. They like give them out at marathons and shit. So that's a fun one. Um, oh, also I have these like chocolate bites. I need to give you Emma, but they're like, the, the brand is awake. I'm working with them and they're like set 80 calories or some shit like that, or 90 calories. I don't really care about that, but it's like half a cup of coffee and a bite of chocolate. So it's like caffeine. It's just a cool little pre-workout snack. No, I was just thinking about those. I'll have to pick them up from you. Like maybe today. Cause I am intrigued. I want, I want a caffeinated bite. <laughs> yeah. They're fun. I've been like melting them on oats too, which is nice. Um, the next kind of category that Emma spoke a little bit about is like fasted versus fed cardio. I feel like I have heard about the fasted cardio for so fucking long and all these health and wellness things, specifically in like the running community and people talking about like training and getting faster. You must do fasted cardio. And like, for me, I did it a little bit and then I would wake up and I'm just like, oh my God, like thinking about running for 50 minutes straight without anything in my system was just like it was, it made my runs miserable to a point of like, I had to shift that, like shifted when I ran in the day or just like eat before my workout because, but it was really difficult for me to find something running that would not make me want to throw up while I was running, like just digesting it well. Um, so I've really followed that eating like 30 minutes before and making sure it is something that's like a quick snack. Um, and the, the reason that people are so like up on edge about fasted cardio is that like some studies and research suggest that training fasted can tap into your energy better. Um, if you know about like fat stores versus glycogen stores, they say that like your energy is going to be less from your glycogen stores than your body's fat stores. And so like training in a fasted state is going to be better for fat and lipid burning utilization. But like, I'm not working out to burn fat right now. So like, I don't even care about that fact, but they say like, if you have this, a very intense session and you're trying to do it fasted, um, obviously you're going to be weaker. You're not going to be performing well. And this is mostly in like the lifting community. So they say to eat something like a very digestible carb, like a banana, probably 20 to 30 minutes before an event. But yeah, a lot of lifters are like advising their, you know, clients and community, like don't fast because if you're performing activities at like the worst end of your fast, so let's say you like ate dinner at 8 PM or something, you woke up and you're training at nine. That's like when your body's really out of fuel, like it is the last part of your fasting cycle, like your natural fast. Um, and so your performance is going to suffer and you're not going to get faster and stronger. You're just going to get weaker and slower. So this is something that I just think is a very risky territory for people to like venture down. If you've come from any sort of disordered eating, it's kind of like, oh, I'm not going to eat for another hour. And then I'm going to work out and then not going to eat. And then this, like you, it becomes very easy to slip back into those tendencies if you come from that place. Um, but if you want to fast, like if you are thinking about like the health benefits of it and not really how it interrelates with your workout schedule, schedule your lifting during your feeding window. So like do it in the afternoon after you've already eaten, do it in the mid morning, make sure you have fuel in your system. So it doesn't get to this like risky territory. And they say like the only thing you really can do that if you want to do fasted is this fasted cardio, never like the weightlifting stuff, because if it's very low intensity, you're just going for a very mundane jog if you think about it, like we all have fat in our body. So your body will go to burn your fat. Like you're not going to die. It's just kind of a risky thing. If you're doing like fasted cardio every single day and like the long-term effects on your body. Um, and the protein thing, Emma and I, Emma already talked about that a little bit. Um, women, it's typically like 15 to 18 grams of protein, men it's 20 to 25. And if you consume way too much, you're just going to pee it out. Um, stress your kidneys, cause absorption issues. Like I've heard that a lot. Um, so yeah, just focus on like obviously eating balanced meals. I think that's what's probably brought the most peace to Emma and I just like eating all the food groups and not like being in the high carb, low fat and not being like bodybuilder, only eating protein, your body's going to need all things. Um, the next part is about hormones a little bit. So a lot of the girlies in Geneva have sensitive hormones, just like Emma and I, and a few people asked about like coffee first thing in the morning, like, is that going to disrupt my hormones in any major way? So coffee naturally is going to increase like your, the production of your stomach acid just by like digesting it. But most people can drink it without problem. Like most people wake up, drink their coffee and they're fine. 
but some people do have like a jittery shake effect. They might have mood changes or like withdrawal effects if you do try to go without your first cup of coffee. Um, but consuming coffee actually decreases your body's natural cortisol levels, which is sometimes you can have this effect, like you drink coffee and you get sleepier, which I know I've had with cold brew. <laughs> Whenever I've had cold brew, I just get like, I pass out at like 1 PM and I'm like, what the fuck just hit me like a brick. So that's something to monitor as well. Another thing from like a gender perspective is that like women or those with female hormones tend to metabolize caffeine slower than men. So if you feel like that is affecting your like productivity throughout the day, um, it could be your coffee that is affecting you. Kind of my, like, this is a general thing, kind of like with the supplement area, it's going to be all about experimentation and being like strict about like what you do every single day to see results. I think the biggest thing you can do is probably add a fat source to your coffee versus going black coffee. So this could be something like MCT oil, butter, creamer, milk, adaptogens, any of those. My current combo is like the milk organics cashew milk. And then I do some of the bulletproof like creamer, which is like coffee or coffee. It's butter and MCT oil. It's kind of weird. And then some drops of lion's mane, the tincture from uh, rainbow mushrooms. And then I blend it all together. And I feel like that's been my coffee thing as of now. Uh, my coffee thing, I've been getting the Laird superfoods creamer. Yeah, and yeah. like it has like adaptogens in like the creamer. And then I think there's like MCT oil in it perhaps too, but I do that. And then I've been doing, um, some tocos in my coffee. Cause I like forgot that I had a canister and then rainbow mushrooms. But another hack that I've been doing girlies, if you like have a French press or I don't know, some other like coffee machine they use and you have like hella adaptogens, like cordyceps, you're like, I need to use this up, add a scoop of cordyceps into like your French press, mix it with the coffee I don't know if it really does anything, but it's like a good way to like, just use up your adaptogens. So a nice little quick tip, if you're like seeking to like use up the powders that have been collecting dust. Yeah. I'm big into that. I've been, my pancakes are truly just powders together because mm -hmm. I don't know what to do with them. Um, the only thing that to kind of note with your coffee is that if you're adding a lot of cream and sugar to make it like a tasty coffee, that could be something that potentially spikes your blood sugar. And so just being cautious about like what sources you're using or how much you're using, that could be like another like, oh yeah, I'm going to be good and not drink black coffee, put creamer in it. And then you suddenly get like blood sugar spikes as well. So they want to make sure you're not getting set up for a new problem as well. But another thing, if you want to entirely cut out coffee, that's like a whole thing of like, we did an episode all about caffeine and kind of like how to, how to go, if you want to like slowly decrease your reliance on caffeine, like how to get into adaptogens, dandelion tea mix all that in. But if you want something that's like a mental focus kind of supplement, um, I've been really curious to try this actually. It's called Gingo Bilboa. It's sometimes put into a lot of like adaptogen blends. Um, Lion's Mane and Rhodiola are another ones that really help your mental focus. But I've been wanting to try the first one just to see like if it, you know, do, I really want to get into like my wellness shit. Like I want to have a journal where I kind of write down like Every time I go to bed, every time I take a certain supplement and like see what my long-term trends are, because I don't really track it well. Um, so I'll let you girlies know if I do that. And they also say like for energy, ashwagandha works. Now I never really take it in the morning. I normally take that as like my nighttime supplement, but that could be another alternative. And then, yeah, another thing, like I was saying with kind of this treating your body like a science experiment, like write down when you drink coffee, how much you consume, are you drinking water with it? Um, how much tea are you consuming? Alcohol, kombucha. And that's going to be the only real way that you can monitor like how it's affecting you. And then also to like drink your coffee when you are doing something and not just like on a walk, like manically, like sipping it down, which I'm victim to. I do that all the time, but Europeans are like very known to like drink it during a meal and really enjoy and savor the small cup of coffee where I feel like us, it's like our caffeine drug that we do to like get through the fucking day. So that could be a, a helpful tip as well. Yes. And then that gets into sort of somehow it's like <laughs> intermittent fasting, meal spacing, just kind of like timing out your meals. Um, so intermittent fasting, you know, everyone's favorite topic in the, I feel like biohacking space. Um, I feel like we've been talking about it that along with the gut microbiome for years now on Mark Hyman's podcast and everyone else's podcast. But, um, so the general rule of thumb really with like meal spacing is going to eat like every three to four hours. This was like shoved down my throat during like eating disorder recovery, just because it's like important to kind of get your body back on track, develop hunger cues. Um, but the benefits of eating like, you know, every three to four hours is going to a keep your metabolism going and also maintain blood sugar levels. So you don't experience that like 
crazy crash and like you don't get like that you know anxiety jitteriness like hangriness that most people experience but also this is going to be dependent on how you prefer to eat so if you're someone who does enjoy to eat like two massive meals perhaps or maybe even three massive meals you can probably get away with extending that window to about like four to five hours just because you're eating way more volume and probably more calories within those meals but if you're someone who enjoys you know smaller meals throughout the day is kind of like you know focusing on that three to four our um, time frame. Now, of course, you know, our lives are crazy and I don't think you should beat yourself up or nor are you going to like literally die if you like, you know, forget to eat after a few hours. But I think that's like a good kind of like rule of thumb to kind of hold yourself accountable and just ensure that you are eating, even if it's just like a small handful of nuts. But with intermittent fasting slash like time restricted eating, I feel like both terms are interchangeable. It's again, I think most of you guys kind of know what it is. It's eating during a specific window and then fasting outside of the eating window. The common one is like the 16, eight. So you'll eat for eight hours, fast for 16 or the 12 and 12. So fast for 12, then eat within the 12 hour window. Now, intermittent fasting, most of the studies have been done on men. There's very few studies that have been done on the impacts of intermittent fasting on women or people who experience some sort of like menstrual cycle. But intermittent fasting is known to help with insulin sensitivity, cellular repair, and it's also just most commonly used in the dieting space as a weight loss tool. Plus, I also feel like it is often utilized as a way to kind of, you know, hide behind the scenes that you're like purposely like restricting your food. But I don't think a lot of us are probably having to worry about insulin sensitivity, cellular repair, who gives a fuck? I'm 22. Like I have other things that I need to focus on. Um, And so I think like intermittent fasting can become a dangerous and slippery slope because you are kind of like, you know, holding yourself up in this like box of like one you can and cannot eat. But I think also another thing to keep in mind is that intermittent fasting or like, you know, you know, restricting your eating for certain periods of time is also a very common practice for many religions, such as like Islam, Christianity, and Buddhism. So there are, you know, like some cultural like relevancy, you know, to fasting. And it is also really, again, important for many religions. But I think for like the common Joe, intermittent fasting is not something that you like necessarily like need to partake in or like you can still be wellness God if you don't do it. And the reason that intermittent fasting can be super dangerous for women, and luckily I have heard, you know, some men in the health and wellness sphere talk about the dangers of intermittent fasting for women. And the main thing is that fasting is a stressor on the body. So it's going to increase your cortisol and also potentially dysregulate your hormones. And women are going to be more sensitive to calorie restriction than men are. And fasting for long periods can affect the hypothalamus, which is the part of the brain that regulates our body's hormones. So when our body's under stress, the body can release the hormones and also disrupt your cycle. Also intermittent fasting can potentially lead to under eating. And again, that can like lead to a very dangerous space for women because if you're under eating, your body's gonna be, you know, signaled that like, hey, we can't reproduce. We're not in a good space to like, have a child if we like wanted to. So we're going to shut down the reproductive system and like no longer have a period. So if you are though, like a woman who does like, you know, to do some sort of like fasting though, the most like healthy timeframe for fasting for reproductive health is going to be that 12 hour window. And probably a lot of us are already doing that right now. You know, if you're eating dinner at like 6 PM, you wake up at seven, you've already have fasted for about like 13 hours. And so, you know, you're already probably fasting without even really realizing it. But I think getting into the territory of like the 16, eight, or I know there's like the five, two, there's so many different, like, you know, time ratios it's for your best interest to probably just avoid that. And again, just like focus more on your hunger cues as opposed to like some weird, crazy diet health rule. Yeah. And I think the five, two, one specifically, like, I don't really understand how people do this unless they're like a fitness person and that's their life. Cause like, how do you live on those days, those two days when you're just like, not, you know, I like cannot. what if it's your friend's birthday or what if it's like, you want to go do something like you're kind of fucked. And that's like, I think, uh, like relate or, a, a lifestyle thing. You have to decide if you want to like compromise your social, like leisure activity for intermittent fasting so much. Um, and like I'm saying, I think the other thing to add about female hormones is a lot of the research, like is still being done on women. So we still don't know a lot. And specifically like women who work out, like if you are thinking about doing any of like that fasted cardio and stuff, like you lifting in the gym for 45 minutes is going to be different than going on like a 20 minute leisurely jog. So considering the intensity of your workouts too, and like how much your body can take. And they always say 
don't intermittent fast the week before your period because your body's already under a lot of stress, um, like trying to produce like enough to like have a period. So if you do struggle with any sort of hormonal imbalances naturally, like definitely don't fast during that week if you are considering doing IF. And it was interesting too, like there is study once again on female rats. It hasn't been on women. I mean, I technically am a rat, but like, you know, um, they looked at, they looked at intermittent fasting on female rats. They found that like on the body weight, body scale, like the rats lost like 19% of their body weight, but it also fluctuated their reproductive hormones. So like this kind of gets back to the, the gym episode where it's like so frustrating when all these guys in fitness are like, I got shredded and lost weight. It's like, yeah, you can do that because you don't have female hormones. If I were to lose like 10 pounds right now, I would not have a period and I would be in critical condition. So it's like, it's not that easy night and day to make the translations from like a male, like intermittent fasting guy to like a woman, because you could be putting so much else at risk that is like the unseen hormones, the unseen health factors. Um, And so, yeah, like it really shifted these rats reproductive hormones, but then this other rat study found that women of PCOS, which I don't have a much like expertise in your hormones and like how that's all fluctuated and everything. They found that IF helped with women who had PCOS. So like, once again, the research is still kind of eh, iffy on like, if IF is good for women or not. Yeah. And then next, like, should you eat at the same time each day? So eating at the same time can be extremely helpful and help you develop better hunger cues. If you have experienced eating disorder, I have recovered from eating disorder, but I still struggle with having like adequate, like hunger cues and signals. So really like, this is like a way that I have been like implementing, you know, you know, some sort of routine in like my eating schedule, not kind of like an orthorexic way, but kind of more in a way to like hold myself accountable and like make sure that I am eating because I can go for like a certain period of time and like not even cross my mind, which is like a really scary space to be in. Um, and so, you know, eating at the same times each day is going to help yourself, you know, maintain routine for your body and it can help with not ending up in a food emergency which can be a really scary place if you have come from eating disorder where, you know, you have deprived yourself for food before. But there are a few studies that show that having like irregular meal times can lead to potential health issues as inconsistent eating can throw off the internal clock of the metabolic process, such as like appetite, digestion, et cetera. Because this is all linked to the circadian rhythm that follows a pattern that repeats 24 hours. So again, your body is going to function better when it knows like, okay, we're going to be getting food at this time. We're going to be getting food at this time and this time. And it's able to kind of like adapt and you'll be able to experience those hunger signals at those same exact times. But also, you know, the best rule of thumb is just going to eat when you're hungry and stop when you're full. And I think like, again, getting strict on when you can, can't eat can just lead to an unhealthy relationship with food. So again, like everyone comes from a different space, obviously do what's best for you. And if you're trying to develop some sort of like healthy routine and you don't maybe like how you just kind of graze throughout the day, Maybe like, you know, being like, okay, I'm going to eat like dinner at this time, breakfast this time, lunch this time, then like have my snack, whatever, anytime between lunch and dinner. Again, it's going to take like a lot of experimentation and there's not really like any like right or wrong time to eat. And of course, you know, like there's so many other factors that come into play, such as like your work schedule. Do you work from home? Like, are you like able to like really like eat when you want? Um, So I think like not beating yourself up and like not comparing yourself to like other people on the internet. Cause I know like, if you go down again, like the, what I eat in day rabbit holes, you see someone being like, Oh, I ate like breakfast at one and then like dinner at 9 PM. And that was all. And it can like be really easy to like compare yourself and be like, Oh, maybe that's what I need to be doing. Cause they look like that. And like, that's what I like aspire to look like. Yeah. I, sorry. I realized I was mute. I was like, what the fuck? Um, I think like I was saying with all these eating habits, once again, it's going to be like, what is your own schedule? Because I think for one point when I was working retail at Outdoor Voices, like I remember I ate breakfast at like nine and then my lunch wasn't until like 3.30. And I just felt like such a bitch when it was like hit to be like 1 p.m. because I like hadn't had food. But it's like such a privilege, I think, to have this opportunity like for me now that I'm like working from home. I'm like, yeah, I can like really structure like what I want to do with my day. Um, So that's another thing. The next question we got a lot of about is like people go back and forth on this is like eating before bed and like what technically like before bed means. I think the most important thing about this like before bed convo is like making sure you're sleeping. Um, Because if you're eating right before bed and you're getting like two hours of sleep, like probably what you, your lack of sleep did more to your body than what you were eating before bed. So that's going to be something that like matters more. Um, most people can eat a snack right before bed. It's fine. They say that like eating a big meal before bed could lead to indigestion or heartburn just because you're lying down, like right after you're trying to digest food, it could be uncomfortable, specifically if you lay on your stomach. 
um, they say the best way to like sleep for digestion is on your left side. Cause that'll like help your body's natural organs like do their thing. Um, but like, if, like I was saying, like if you regularly are eating close to bedtime and you regularly struggle getting a good night's sleep, like, Hmm, like maybe I should consider like if I'm t- eating too late or what I am eating before bed. So that's like, if it's a pattern, that's, I think an area to investigate, but like I was saying, there's probably like a million things that can affect your body's ability to sleep. It could be your caffeine intake. It could be your exercise, your sleep habits. Like, are you on your phone right before bed? Anxiety, a lot of different things. But overall, the general health advice I would say on like eating before bed is that doctors say like, give yourself a few hours to calm down and relax because digestion is going to be an active process. But with like IF and like weight loss conversation, we don't know about like an optimal like time exactly you should stop eating before bed so don't like get rigid like oh it has to be exactly like four hours or three hours or like two hours or one hour I'm gonna die and like have the worst bloating ever um the overall theory is that like our bodies are set up to be awake when the sun rises and the sun sets so like you should be eating and moving during the day sleeping and fasting overnight and like if you are sleeping you are fasting naturally you're not like particularly on like a diet or anything but if you are getting to the end of the day and you feel very hungry, like you feel like pangs of hunger at 8 p.m. or something, or like, let's say you eat dinner at seven and then at nine, you're just starving. That could be a sign that you're probably not eating enough throughout the day, right? Eating regular meal times and like making sure you're eating enough during the day is gonna be something that will help you curb this like nighttime, like I think binge cycle that you could get into. But once again, if you feel like it's very restrictive for you to not be able to eat like hours before bed, follow your hunger cues. Like if you're hungry, eat Foods before bed that you can eat are like, people always say like cherries before bed because it releases your body's natural melatonin, tea, magnesium, you know, all the sleep. I go, I sometimes do experience like that, like crazy, like hunger, like right before bed, especially if I went on a super long walk. And one of my like favorite go-tos is like a handful of walnuts with like dark chocolate. I feel like that like is a nice like satiating snack and it's like pretty high in calories. Um, so definitely a snack to consider. Yeah. The next two sections. So someone asked about bloating versus night and morning. I always bloat after dinner, like most breakfast and like lunch stuff. I'm like fine and snacks, but dinner is just always a mystery. And it's probably because I eat a lot of vegetables in dinner, but I don't know. That's like one thing I'm not really going to experiment about, but once again, bloating is going to relate to a lot of factors, your food, your stress, water retention, carbonated beverages, chewing gum is another big one celiac disease you could have that you also could have um resistance to FODMAPs which we don't know a lot about ever like we've talked about before but like never done an episode like on FODMAPs specifically but they're going to be in a lot of plant-based products so you could go down the whole FODMAP rabbit hole if you want to I would say do it with a doctor's advice that you should go down and do that um because it is very restrictive like you only can eat so many things Another thing that could cause bloating at night is that like eating super late before bed because you're going to bed and your body's still like processing digestion. So sometimes I think if you have to eat later, like maybe go on a walk after to get things moving. Sometimes if I'm bloated and like, you know, the last thing you want to do is move your body. I still find that I like put on sweats and a big sweatshirt and just go on like a five minute walk, not five minutes, like 10 minutes or something. Cause I feel it helps like me just like, okay, I'm not laying in bed in like a ball. Like this is hurting. There's also like digestion stretches you can do like lymphatic dreaming. There was this one video on TikTok and I haven't done it, but like you put coconut oil on your stomach and it was like a super viral video, like last year, I guess. Um, but a lot of people are like, yeah, this seemed really scammy, but it actually worked. So Maybe go down a TikTok bender, but maybe I also recommend like a lot of like spinal twists. That's like also really good for like helping with like bloating and digestion if you're experiencing that. Yeah. And the next one is like not chewing your food all the way. So like if you're eating your meals in a very rushed state, I know this happens to me all the time, all the fucking time. This is probably the biggest cause of my bloating is that I'm eating a lot of vegetables and I'm scrolling on my phone and I'm triggered by something that was happening on my phone, or I'm like eating it and trying to get out of the house in five minutes. Like our modern lifestyle is probably a lot of the reasons why people are fucking bloating as well. And then another thing that like, I don't think it's talked about a lot because it is kind of like sketchy territory, not sketchy, but irregular eating often leads to bloating. So if you are restricting food, that leads to bloating oftentimes. Like if you ever see malnourished kids that they put on like ads for like global poverty and they have like a belly, like that is because of they are malnourished, like they're not getting enough calories in. So that is something to think about. Like if you are skipping your meals, that is signaling to your body to retain fat and water as a starvation tactic. Um, You're naturally, you know, causing your metabolism to slow down. 
to preserve energy. So it thinks, yeah, you've reached this scary potential. Your body's like, I don't know what to do. So I'm going to hold on to fat and water and like bloat the fuck out of your stomach because I think I'm dying. So that's something to consider. Um, if you are so like, you're doing all this like intermittent fasting and shit and you're bloated, like it could be because your body's under so much stress. So maybe just eat three meals and snacks and just vibe on out and don't do all that stuff. The last category is a fun category that is like a super extra wellness guide, A plus smart student special thing, which is resistance starch. Now I made a meme about this and people were like, what is this? I'm like, oh, perfect. Gets into the pod. I don't really know where I first heard about it, but um, resistance starch is basically that it's about like cooling your potatoes and your rice for like optimum like digestion. This is like a super niche, stupid like wellness thing. But basically, if you think about carbs, like not all carbs are created equal. So from like sugars to starches to fiber, different carbs are going to have different effects on your body's like overall health outcome. Resistance starch is going to be something that's resistant to digestion. So it passes through your intestines without being broken down by your body. So if you think about like, why would that be important? It's technically it's great for you. So resistance starch is a natural prebiotic. It's providing like food for your bacteria to do the work and like digest all your food. But since it's actually not digested by your cells of your small intestine, it's going to be available for your large intestine to use to like process. I kind of think about it like you're supplementing your gut when you're eating resistance starch to like do the bigger work. And it also can help with like insulin sensitivity. So what foods have a lot of resistant starch potential? It's going to be things like potatoes, rice, pasta, bananas, legumes, cashews, and oats. So what do you do if you want to be a wellness god? Basically, there's been studies that show that if you cool down your potatoes overnight and you ate it the next day, uh, it tripled your resistant starch content. So you're, you're like helping your gut out a lot here. Um, and your resistance starch remains higher after reheating foods have been previously cooled. So like, let's say you took a batch of potatoes, you cook them, and then you cooled them in the refrigerator, and then you reheated them another day. That's going to improve the resistance starch quality, making you a wellness god. So this gets into a category. I mean, one thing you can do, obviously, is, yeah, like any meal prep thing, if you're reheating pasta or rice, that's like super easy. But this brings us into dessert potatoes to freezer potatoes. Like we had this conversation in Geneva a long, long time ago about there was a TikTok that went viral about freezing your sweet potatoes as like a popsicle almost. But I was thinking about like giving our girlies some ideas of what to do with these frozen potatoes because a dessert potato is, if you're new here, we did a podcast episode on it. Um, sorry, that wasn't a scoff. I'm just like, you know, explaining a dessert potato is something I not didn't think I'd be doing at age 23. But here we are. Here we are again, nonetheless. Um, you have a Japanese sweet potato or like even a normal sweet potato, a yam, perhaps put in the microwave and you put sweet toppings on it. You put nut butters, you put honey, you put chocolate chips, chia seed jam, walnuts, anything you want. Um, you make it like it is a dessert boat. It is a vessel for the toppings and it is a potato. Yes. It is like a potato cake. It's like, yeah, it's a potato split, not a banana split, a potato split. Yeah. You might think we're weird exit of this podcast. You think that's weird. If you've made it along this far, I doubt this conversation is obscure for you but that brings us to freezer potatoes because a lot of the ways that I make dessert potatoes are based on my toppings melting right like the chocolate chip melting the peanut butter drizzle like all of the warm things but recently I'm like well I want the resistance starch to be better so I'm going to freeze my potato but then when I take the potato out of the freezer it's not going to melt my toppings so we're into a dilemma here um Emma have you been doing anything with your potatoes I feel like if I'm going to have a cold potato, it needs to have some sort of like drippy, but not like gooey, like sauce. So like some sort of like maybe tahini maca caramel type situation, or like even like just some honey with like some Maldon salt. I feel like that could be like, mm, yum, like food porn moment. <laughs> um, you know, maybe you could like, yeah, do honey, then dip it in chia seeds and pretend it's like sprinkles, question mark. Wow. I'm interested. Yeah. The t- I think I've been doing the honey maca, like weird, like immunity potato thing for most of my potatoes, which is awesome. Um, but yeah, if you guys have any potato, you know, we always love to see tagged in your weird food combinations. So hit us up with some new food combos perhaps, but I'm going to make a potato later today, I believe. Yum. I don't know what I'm going to make. I don't have any potatoes. I kind of want kabocha squash, but hmm. I also have beets. I've been on my beets lately. So probably going to have that with my dinner with whatever else I make. Yeah. Dinner's in question for me. Nice. I might do some spring rolls and then a potato. Who knows? 
The world yeah. is your oyster, man. The world is your oyster. I'll fucking see. But thank you, girlies, for listening to the pod. Made it to the end. Um, as always, if you're new here, we have a link in every podcast episode. It goes to our community platform called Geneva. You can make a bunch of best friends, get meal ideas. If you're wondering if you have IBS or not, someone there can probably give you advice on it. If you want to, you know, learn a new Pilates YouTube video to watch, you can probably ask in there as well. New athletic set, any of the questions. It's just um, one big massive group chat with people all around the world who are homies and they will not trigger you. They are kind, beautiful angels. Yeah. What else are you up to today, dog? Um, I have to complete some Christmas shopping for the fam and i don't know probably some other stupid shit that i need to do that i'm blanking on what about you what about you dog i need to stimulate the economy in some way um groceries that whole shit but i'll let you go and we'll another another day another shot thank you girlies for listening bye you guys next week bye Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.